So, Berto, what do you know about Marilyn Manson? I definitely, uh, when he came on the scene, I definitely uh, got intrigued. <laughs> and it was just so weird, so intriguing. I loved it. Sort of like a darker NIN. <laughs> Did you know anything about his personal life? Yeah, I actually, um, years ago, read, I think it was his book. I definitely watched a couple documentaries at some point. Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about Marilyn Manson and the allegations. But before we go into it, I want to provide a pretty severe trigger, trigger alert. And if there's ever been an episode where you might have th some PTSD triggered for you, this is that episode. I thought about trying to tame it, you know, tone it down a little bit, but you really can't get into the story without talking about some specifics. And so no joke, very serious trigger alert. If you've been assaulted, if you've been harmed by someone, this probably isn't the episode for you. Uh, let's introduce the podcast. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor. My name is Humberto Castaneda, and I design Flat Earth Maps. So, allegations. Let's get into that. Evan Rachel Wood. Do you, do you know Evan Rachel Wood? Do you know what she's from? I, I'm sure I've seen her. Is she an actress? Or? Yeah. Well, Westworld. You saw Westworld. Is she the main gal? Yeah. Okay. I didn't know that, but... Now I know. <laughs> she, the first time I saw her, she was in 13, which was about 20 years ago with... Was she the girl in 13? Yeah, Holly, Holly, oh, Holly Hunter. What? Okay. Yeah. I guess I do know her. <laughs> and Running With Scissors. I remember her from that. And I didn't she see was that one. in Across the Universe, which is a Beatles movie that you have yeah, yet, yeah. To, yet to I have watch. yet to see. <laughs> and many other things. But anyway, with regards to Marilyn Manson... Uh, reportedly in the news, she was a former fiancé. They had a five-ish year relationship that started, that was in the late 2000s, so like 2005 to 2010 sort of thing. And she alleges that he was grooming her before she was 18, that she was an underage teen when it started and that he was in his mid-30s at the time. So then we fast-forwarded 2018, and she is tef testifying before Congress to support a bill of rights, bill of rights for sexual assault survivors, I believe to lift the statute of limitations for this sort of crime. And she talked about the abuse from Manson without naming his name. And a lot of people suspected she was talking about him, but we weren't quite sure. And she said the following statement. And she said a lot of things, but this is part of it. She said, the toxic mental, physical, and sexual abuse started slow, but escalated over time including threats against my life, severe brainwashing, waking up to him raping what he believed to be my unconscious body, end quote. So then we fast forward to just this month, February 2021, and she publicly accused him of the abuse. She named him as the person that she was referring to earlier, and she was the first to come out publicly against him, according to the news. She alleges that she was beaten and threatened by him, and to keep her silent, he threatened to kill her or kill himself. She said the following things. If I tried to sleep, he would throw things at me or instruct me to do drugs, which would disorient me and keep me awake, sometimes for days. He would sometimes force me to partake in acts of fear, pain, torture, and humiliation, which he would videotape and which I felt powerless to stop. And there are many other statements like this. And she, she says that she has PTSD from the trauma, which is not surprising. Again, trigger warning, this is the sort of thing we're going to be getting into. So what do you think about that, Berto? Yeah, I mean, 
So this was 2018 when she was testifying? Yeah. Yeah. But then just this month she came out and said this that is when it, yeah. So I had like this this had skipped me in 2018. Uh but what's weird is I knew for years that the guy wasn't right. Um in his biography, like like I said, either the one I read or whatever I read, there were some horrific stories. Um so in in a way I was not s- surprised. I uh, was definitely horrified, and I guess times used to be so different because, you know, in in the when when his band came out and they got popular and stuff, there was almost a glorification of a lot of things within that space. Like, I mean, their shows they glorified these <laughs> these kinds of things, um, and so. Yeah, I, I just when I when I heard like this was an issue, I was like, "Yep, oh, I guess that makes sense," uh, and it's it's terrible. Yeah, we'll get into his biographies in a second, uh, which he basically admits to this sort of behavior. Oh, and, and by the way, I, I will say, I was hugely disappointed way back, like just ages ago, because when he first came on the scene, I thought I got the the message or the joke of it or whatever, because. Especially like the beautiful people, which was I, I I loved that piece of music. I thought that the whole thing was a, a shtick, but uh, like on purpose. And don't you get it? Like, but I was uh, I, clearly I was being fooled twice because um, no, they they really were chaotic, despotic like group of people that that actually I'm not really sure that that he stood for much in the end, and so. I, when I started reading more about him, learn, I was like, wait a minute, this isn't a, he's not making the point I thought he was making, or at least maybe only the lyrics or something. But um, because when, when I saw that song, I thought, oh, wow, he's really, you know, pointing fingers at the system and things. But it's like, no, in the end, it's just, it's just a circus act. And like, you know, everyone in the band, not everyone, but almost everyone had severe disturbing problems and, He's not excluded from that. Yeah, that was my thought, too, because I'd followed him a little bit and heard him talk really articulately about society and the way he was reacted to, the way parents would look at him, the way he would be vilified for having art. And he seemed like a very well-spoken person. And I thought, oh, okay, he's in on the joke and he's not afraid to even be uh, vulnerable at times. And I thought, oh, okay, he gets it. He he he's not actually like that, and he's not afraid to reveal his true self in interviews. And he has a pretty good take on society and and this sort of thing. And then you hear about this behavior, and you think, my God, is was it all one big uh, smokescreen to protect him from scrutiny? Because people would come in and and say. Look what he's doing. Ah, you're just another one of those yeah. women, those moms clutching your pearls. You know, what are we going to do about the children? You know, and yeah, all this sort yeah. of thing. And then he just continued to get, get away with it. And it's a, it's a really interesting case along those lines because he was doing it in broad daylight. And yeah. it, it was supported by the system. And it was almost like that was his brand. But... Most people, it's it's sort of like if you had a hardcore hip hop guy 
who rapped about selling drugs and having guns and shooting people. You know, I'm thinking of like the early 90s, this kind yep. of thing. And you have a guy who raps about all that kind of stuff, but then actually participates in psychopathic murder of people for uh, personal yeah. gain. And you think, wait, I thought we were just playing a game. I thought you were just right. expressing a, a lifestyle or you had a character that you, this is actually you. You're actually taught, this is actually what you do. You actually, yeah, yeah. You, you're actually doing this sort of thing. Yeah. And it's in some ways on us for not saying, well, okay, yeah, there are the clutching of the pearls and there is the, what about the children people? But then there are legitimate people who will abuse people and, and try to get away with it in broad daylight. And we should really look at that. Uh, there was also, I mean, I think growing up in the 80s and like in the 90s, there was definitely a glorification of what rock stars did and could get get, get away with. Because you remember how like, oh my gosh, there's some crazy stories of like Motley Crue destroying a hotel or oh, the Guns N' Roses guys did this, that, the other. And a lot of times the the stories would involve like, you know, about groupies and about crazy drug stories and things. And I remember it was glorified. Like, just being on the outside of that world, I remember being like, oh, there's a cool aspect to all that. Um, and yet, like, if we stop and think about what the things we were glorifying, we were glorifying uh, totally dysfunctional, chaotic people with addictions, bringing in very young people into their circle and becoming very chaotic around them. And so, it, and, and all of them growing up without tools or, or uh, tools or definitions or, any, or boundaries or anything to even know that what they were doing was, was wrong. Yeah. Because that, that's the other thing. Uh, of course, all this has to get brought into the light of day. We have to all move beyond what, what we've been but a lot of these people, uh, rock stars, famous movie stars, all these things that have been abusive, grew up in a system where it was like they were sort of unaware that they shouldn't be getting away with all these things. Now, there's some of the stuff I've heard about this guy in particular that <laughs> just go beyond the pale. Because um, mostly I was talking about, uh, you know, bringing the, the idea of bringing the groupies backstage and then having sex with them and things like that. But then this takes it into like the torture and abuse and constant, like, which is just crazy. But yes, if you read his own words and take it at least a 10% at his words, it's like, this is not new. Yeah, let's get into his words. Before we do that, though, I just want to name a few other people. After Wood uh, came out, Esme Bianco, do you know who that is? No. So she's from Game of Thrones. She was the main sex worker in the show. And she dated Marilyn Manson reportedly. And she also spoke out about an abuser without naming Marilyn Manson at the time. But then she's since named him, I believe. Uh, hmm. Similar, I think she was speaking out as a way of trying to change the laws for statute of limitations. And she said that he groomed her and tricked her into being in a relationship with him. And eventually he was in complete control of everything in her life. What she ate, who she was allowed to see, locked her in the bedroom, not allowed to sleep, a similar thing to what Wood said, violently shaking her awake for several days, not letting her sleep, trying to control her through that, that he would bite her during sex non-consensually and there were bruises all over her body. He, she, he would beat her. He posted naked pictures of her online without her knowledge, 
chased her around with an axe trying to kill her, broke her down mentally, and now she has PTSD, anxiety, and depression. So Esme Bianco's uh, description is is very similar to Evan Rachel Wood's description. And it's interesting the way that when these multiple people come forward, how they have an, they have an MO when you talk to the Bill Cosby uh, victims, they will have very similar stories. When you talk to Harvey Weinstein's victims, although he had different profiles, if you will, but there were clusters, you know, there was the, with Harvey Weinstein, he actually would just full on assault women without any trying, without trying to butter them up at all, if you will, you know, without trying to, you know, coerce them verbally, he would just tackle them and, and rape them. And then he had this other method where he tried to get them to come up into his room and then he would just be in his robe and that sort of thing. And, And so clearly Marilyn Manson, in terms of the allegations, there's a, there's a similar pattern of locking into a room biting, beating, uh, angry outbursts, not allowing them to sleep. And I've never heard that before. I mean, have you ever heard of that torture in terms of like, you hear that in CIA torture situations, but not torture against your partner, right? Right. And and so this is the kind of stuff, okay, back in the early 90s, I got into Nine Inch Nails. I really loved his music. I thought it was super cool. Uh, And then there was this dark aspect to it. If you listen to the lyrics, if you watch his videos. Um, And then there was this video that was called Broken that was like really hard to get a hold of. We had a VHS tape of it. It was this long extended music video essentially. But it was told, the, the thing was filmed sort of like from the point of view of found footage of a serial killer. And I was fascinated with this because, you know, I used to be into like serial killers and just that thought... But again, I, I was like, but you know, it's, it's art. It's, it's, it's a joke. It's not, not a joke necessarily, but it's, it's not real. We're pretending here. And then when, again, when Marilyn Manson came out and Trent Reznor was a big, you know, he signed them and stuff. I thought, oh, weird. This is like dialing this, this act to 11. And their videos were like, okay, now we're talking seven. This is the movie seven in a music video. And it's, it's super out there and 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 at the time it it was before the stop shake type of effect came out in the horror movies all over the place because i think it was already in japanese movies but they hadn't really done it a lot here but so his videos had that and then after that you saw a lot of horror movies that did that thing where where the the creatures suddenly move several steps sort of like unnaturally and and marilyn manson's videos if you remember had that where like his head would shake and um i was so into that but again, I thought, okay, I think over the years, whatever traumas he had, he started becoming his, his persona and sort of like feeling the freedom and the power to like actually walk into that character and play it out for real. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Did it start before he did this and that's why he decided to become this or... Did he have issues and then he branded himself this way because he was interested in this kind of music or this kind of style? And then over time, he just lost touch with who he was or maybe he didn't know who he was and he just started to absorb the fantasy. We hear about this sometimes where people will create a persona and then and it's really not them. 
and then they'll just slowly become that person, even though their identity and their re- the reality is really something else. Right. Uh, I mean, I'm trying to think of another example. I and I thought of Bob Dylan maybe because people think of him as this this guy who roams the the <laughs> lonely streets of Alabama, going from town to town, and you know. Don't think right. twice. It's all right. And he's what from Minnesota, and he was just a regular suburban kid. And or Bruce Springsteen comes across as this working. He worked class. at a factory for fifty years, dude. Yeah, and <laughs> and, he, and but he's cool because he'll actually in interviews talk about how that all is a persona, and yeah. his background has nothing to do with <laughs> the songs that he sings about. And, and it doesn't just, lead to abuse. <laughs> right. And you, so you just have to wonder. Because I, you know, I don't watch that. You like that kind of stuff. You like the Trent Reznor, yeah. uh, who's the other guy who makes those movies. He used to be uh, Rob Zombie. You, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, like, I, didn't like, I didn't like White Zombie, but I loved a couple of the Rob Zombie movies. I still do. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't. I never really like Nine Inch Nails. I, I know that you kind of see this progression from Depeche Mode to Nine Inch Nails to Marilyn Manson. I, I thought Nine Inch Nails was a really crappy, industrial, non-musical <laughs> knockoff of Depeche Mode. <laughs> well, I... Okay. I disagree like about that. Hole. Something or dis- <laughs> something. No, blah, no, no. blah, blah, blah. I will definitely Sata defend... Oh, God. <laughs> I will definitely defend Nine Inch Nails music. It, 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 not Marilyn Manson. There's a couple of songs I like by Marilyn Manson. For me, Marilyn Manson was a lot more about the the videos, the energy, and a couple of songs. But Nine Inch Nails musically, I, yeah, we can disagree. And it's not all of their music, but I love their music. Uh, but I mean, but Trent, Reznor, not, Trent Reznor, I respect his, yeah. his soundscapes, his musical or his movie uh, soundtracks. Soundtracks, yeah. His personality, I think, yeah. his, his dedication. There's a lot of really, I think, respectable things. It's just not for me, is the thing. Yeah. And Marilyn Manson, I, I, I was too old by the time that sort of thing came out. And this, <laughs> the style of the vocals is just complete opposite of what I'm looking for in music. If, if there was a different, yeah, if there was a different style of, of the Why vocals. Why don't you like it? Why don't you like it? Yeah, it's like purpose, you know, and fine, you know, arts art, and I, I know people that are really into that kind of singing, more in the hardcore metal scene, really, sure. is what I'm usually familiar with, but but anyway, um, so Ellie Rosell re- recently, I don't know if I'm pronouncing her name right, but she just recently came out and accused Manson of pointing a camera up her skirt backstage as a, at a festival. She says, quote, I was shocked to look down and see he was filming up my skirt with a GoPro, and his tour manager simply said, he does this kind of thing all the time. So that's just another piece of his sadism or psychopathy or sexual uh, pathology. Uh, I should say, though, his ex-wife, so he was married for a while to Dita Von Thies, and she submitted a statement as this was coming out this month. And she says, to those of you who, ex- who, have, who have expressed your concerns of my well-being, I appreciate your kindness. Please know that the details made public do not match my personal experience during during our seven years together. Had they, I would not have married him in December of 2005. I left 12 years month. I, I left 
12 years months later. Wait, I left 12 months later due to infidelity and drug abuse. End, of, end quote. So basically what she's saying is people are reaching out to her and being like, well, he must have done this to you too, right? right. That's why you left him. And she's like, no, nope, actually, I, it was infidelity and drug abuse. that That's why I left him. I, I, he and never did anything, these things to me. I've seen this, by the way. Um, I was watching YouTube videos. Uh, there was this one I watched of this gal that support, supposedly had a, a, a brief fling with, with Marilyn Manson or something. And she was saying, well, that's not what I saw at all. So therefore, I don't believe <laughs> that this is the case. She doesn't and, believe Dita Von Teese's statement that he wasn't abusive to her? No, 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 no. The opposite. She doesn't believe the accusers because she herself didn't experience... Oh. She herself... Basically, it's this, this thread that, like, if someone is a certain way with someone, they must be that way with everyone, and if they're not, then we can't believe the accuser. Right. For example, Ted Bundy probably couldn't have been married, right? And his wife wouldn't have said that they had a loving relationship or no one would have said anything nice about a serial killer. It's, it's just dumb. In fact, it's the opposite. Usually like, I don't know. He seems so nice. He lived next door to me. Right. Um, so I, I'm not saying that there aren't patterns, but just because someone isn't, and look, it's not like the thing is still going in a healthy marriage, right? Like it ended because of drugs and infidelity. So, uh, you know, I'm not saying that people aren't unfaithful. And stuff. I'm just saying that, Clearly, there, there is already some dysfunction even in that relationship. So we, we can't just say, oh, but, you know, she's, she wasn't abused in the same ways. Therefore, no one else probably was. Yeah, it's a weird bias that people have, we all have, that we have this stereotype in our head about what an evil abuser looks like, right? And if they don't look like that to us in our contact with that person, then... The other people must be lying. I, you know, I can't, I can't see him doing that because all the time I hung out with him, he seemed totally fine. But that's based on a, on a heuristic of when I see him, he seems to be stable-ish, and thus he's always stable. And it kind of yeah. goes both ways, actually. It, we have this bias where you could experience him and, and think that he's fine based on your limited experience. But it also go the other direction in that People will think that someone with schizophrenia will be noticeably schizophrenic all the time, which sure. is just not true. You can suffer from schizophrenia or any kind of, uh, shall we say, severe mental illness, and you can often appear totally non-symptomatic. And so we have this uh, erroneous idea in our minds based on movies and television around if someone is a crazy person or an evil person, then they're always doing that thing that just bugs me in movies now and TV when evil people look, they, they have their chin down to their chest and they're, they're looking at the camera through their <laughs> eyes. Oh, it, you know what I mean? That, that look where they're just like, I'm, I, I have evil face. And I'm, <laughs> that, happened, that started happening about 15 years ago. And the first time it happened, I was <laughs> like, oh, okay. And then now every director, it's like, okay, do, do that evil do face. Do evil face. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, Okay, there's got to be another one. Anyway, so let's get into his, his own statements, and then later let's, let's try to diagnose him. But first, let's take a break. What do you say, Berto? Let's do it. So, Berto, if there was a Nine Inch Nail song 
that was trying to get people to become a patron of the podcast, what would that sound like? I'm so dark today, but I know that you got to say that you'll support the podcast. Because if you don't, I'll stick a nail in each of your toes. <laughs> Dark. Okay, let's go to his own statements here. Again, trigger warning reminder, because this is him talking about his, his own behavior. So in a 2009 spin interview, so this is 12 years ago, he talked about violent thoughts about his current girlfriend, Evan Rachel Wood. And how his song, I Want to Kill You Like They Do in the Movies, that's the name of the song, I Want to Kill yeah. You Like They Do in the Movies, that he was talking about how this song is about, quote-unquote, fantasies that he had, quote, every day about smashing her skull in with a sledgehammer. So he is telling a spin <laughs> a journalist that this song is about fantasies that he had every day about smashing his current girlfriend's skull in with a sledgehammer. That was his words. And again, at the time, you're thinking, oh, he's just, he's so dark, or he's saying that in jest, or he has angry thoughts that he just gets out. No, he probably literally had those thoughts and actually wanted to do that at some times. That's, that's the scary part of this. There's this um, brilliant South Park episode where uh, the detective, the head of the, detect uh, the police station detective, he goes undercover. And he's trying to like find, I, I don't even remember what it is he's trying to go undercover for. But the joke is that he goes deeper and deeper undercover, but he starts doing all these things that are really bad just because he's undercover. Um, and like the, in this case, it's like, well, at what point, how far do you take the, the joke, the, the stick, the, the act? Because when you're writing a full album obsessively, about your ex and including songs about killing your ex and then talking in interviews about how you fantasize and dream about it. Like where, where do we draw the line and be like, eh, that's funny, but can we stop? <laughs> like yeah. in the guardian, same year, he threatened journalists who were speaking out against him saying, quote, I am far different than the soon to be murdered in their home press has decided to fabricate. If one more quote-unquote journalist makes a cavalier statement about me and my band, I will personally, or, my f or with my fans' help, greet them at their home and discover just how much they believe in their freedom of speech, unquote. Does that sound a little familiar? Uh, yeah, I'm just going to put it Yikes. out there. Um, another interview, he said that he has a small room that if anyone is bad, I can lock them in it, and it's soundproof. It's called the bad girl room. In another wow. interview with Danny Scott, he said, if I locked my girlfriend in the naughty room the night before, I have to remember to let her out or she gets mad at me. And again, it, it, you, th you yeah. hear that, and I'm sure it's, oh, he's just joking, or he has some sort of S&M relationship with his girlfriends. No, he literally was non-consensually breaking women down. Yep. And locking them in a room at night, and to, to control them, and to and it was and it was soundproof. But this is the kind of stuff why I gave up on caring years ago. Oh, caring as in caring about the the band, this band and his music and stuff, because 
I was like, wait, you know, this is not funny. Like this is, and I don't think he's trying to be funny. Like, you know, it's, it's like watching some, oh, you know, uh, watching the sex pistols and you're like, oh, these guys, man, they're so chaotic, so wacky. Look how crazy the Johnny Rotten guy is. Look how, oh, look at Sid Vicious. Look how he looks like he's on drugs. Oh, wait, he's totally on drugs. But he looks like he's going to fall over at it. Oh, he died. Oh, no, it is. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like, it's no joke. <laughs> right. And the crowds keep cheering. <laughs> right. Yeah. And the victims keep piling up. And the fans keep attacking the people who come forward. So, in his autobiography... Go ahead. Sorry. When, when I was young, I used to have this misconception. I think we talked a bit about this before. That I, and I think it might be common. When I was young, I thought that my brain was immune to stimulus if I wanted it to be. So that if, if I watched something disturbing or whatever, like I could handle it. Uh, now, clearly, I didn't fully believe that because I've also said that I, I didn't want to watch the uh, Faces of Death videos back in, in the uh, late or um, early 90s because I, you know, I, did, I, I was afraid, actually. I was like, oh, I don't want to see this horrible stuff. Um, but there was another part of me. It was like, yeah, I could play whatever video game with, or I can watch whatever horror movie I could do, whatever. And so when I was like in my late twenties, I, I was going after the finding the worst horror movies I could get my hands on. I would look online for the list of the most disturbing movies, but it got to a point where I was watching one of these and I was like, uh, yeah, this is too much. Like, yeah this is too dark. Like I can't. Yeah. And, and I, at some point, and maybe it comes with growing older, you're like, I don't think my brain is immune to everything. <laughs> right. Yeah. And art is art. And of course, if we were in another pocket, we would look at ev- all this stuff and anything close to it as obscene and unnecessary. And if we were a little closer to this art form, we'd be like, ah, oh, you know, I just really like that kind of thing. And I want to allow for that for sure. But it is a question. When does the consumption of a particular art like this infect your head and or put people who are susceptible to this sort of thing at risk? And that's that's probably a better way to put it is that for 99% of the people who consume this sort of art, it's benign. It's a way to express their anger or their despondency or to feel like they're in their they're in their crew and for a very small percentage of people it gets under their skin and they're traumatized by it and or encouraged by it in his autobiography he talks about one incident in which he thought his mother was cheating on him which i didn't really understand but in this moment he writes about attacking his mother and he threw a bottle at her face so this is him as a child so he's a He's a child, I think maybe 10 or something, 12, 13. And she still has a scar on her lip, he talks about in the book, from him throwing a bottle at her face. It was unclear if he meant cheating on his father or just dating men. Uh, I didn't really understand. It's like that he, he thought his mother was cheating, I think on his father, and he attacked his mother. And then later he wrote, that the scar served as her constant reminder never to have another child. So that's kind of an interesting statement. That in his own words, he's talking about his mother, quote-unquote, cheating, and he 
got angry and felt entitled as a as a teenager or younger person to throw a bottle at her face hard and then as an adult in this book he writes that the scar serves as her constant reminder never to have another child what does that mean does that mean like does that mean um, she better understands or like she knows self-deprecating yeah she knows not to have another kid like me like look how i turned out right don't do this you know but what's weird and this is so, what's weird is I thought that he was, uh, when he was a kid, because they've interviewed his, I've seen interviews with his dad and his mom and stuff, like he seemed quote unquote normal other than he was a bit of a, of an odd kid maybe, um, definitely into dark stuff and whatnot, but, so I, I, that's why I was always confused. I was like, well, okay, I think, I think I get it. I think he's, he's like embracing his dark side but just you know for the show of it um but then you know he like he would you know seriously cut himself on stage and he would like he would do some stuff and he was doing the drugs and he was doing all these things but one of his uh ex-bandmates who died of an od used to say that brian marilyn manson wasn't like me he wasn't like some of us because he actually had two different personas he had his marilyn manson and then there was brian and and he could leave the Marilyn Manson aside. And that's what he was claiming. Uh, but then other folk have said that, like, over the years, he just became more and more just Marilyn Manson. Um, and, he, you know, he would get super upset if people called him Brian, at least in front of other people, you know. So who knows? Who knows if he was always really like that? Is that story real? Is that, like, there's some of the stories in the book that are, other people have disputed. Who knows? Yeah, it's interesting to think. Was the real Brian someone that was quote unquote normal, or was that Brian also a person who liked to take sadistic pleasure in other in harming other people? Because you could be a normal Brian walking around without your makeup and just you know mm-hmm. watching Netflix, and also be a sadist, which we'll get into True. later. Yeah, just a, a little. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. And we've talked before about how you get money and fame and power. Yeah. And now you can start heading down a path where you can get away with a little bit and get away with a little bit more and you can right. get a little... Yeah. And to be clear, it's not the money that causes the sadism. The sadism was there. And without the money, you wouldn't have been able to act it out. You probably would have sublimated it into, I don't know, playing video games or something. But just to take a jog into his child a little bit while we're on the topic... Uh, I couldn't find anything online about his childhood much, but the details I did read, and I don't know if it's accurate or not, there were some sites that claimed his grandfather was allegedly into bestiality. And his dad told, and this is actually, I think, in his book, that his dad told him he might have suffered from PTSD from the Vietnam War, from killing so many people. His father worked a lot and was distant. He was an only child. He became enmeshed with his mother. He became a very angry teenager, and he talked about lashing out at his mother. He was sent to Christian school that he hated. He was beaten up by other children who thought he was gay. So he was bullied, apparently. And that might have been the breeding ground for his personality, but there are a lot of people like that. So, uh, And later on when we talk about his psychology, I think we'll talk about just how odd his presentation is, although it is a particular personality. Um, getting back to his autobiography, he, he said about his mother, I hit her, spit on her and tried to choke her. 
She never retaliated. She just cried, and I never felt sorry for her. So again, just talking wow. about, you know, whether he is apologetic of it or not, he clearly remembers and wrote about being a very angry and harmful person as a young yeah. person. It's one thing to lash out in anger. It's another thing to throw a bottle at someone's face, hit her, spit her, try to choke her, and then, you know, at the time, just having no remorse. I mean, just imagine, no matter how much anger you could actually feel towards your mom, you know, can you imagine doing anything along these lines? Just anything. Just violent. It's one thing to be, like, silently in your room, you know, smoking pot and getting angry at your mom. It's another thing to, to... physically want to rip yeah. her apart, right? That, that tells you something about what's going on for him and maybe his traumas too. I don't know. He yeah. didn't talk about going through any kind of major trauma growing up, but uh, anyway. In another publication, he wrote that he abused a quote-unquote weak-willed kid who was his assistant. And here's his words. I put him through hell. I would have physically, I would have physical altercations with him. I told him I would pay him $100 if I ever hit him unintentionally, and then I got drunk one time and laid $500 on the table and beat the shit out of him. So that tells you something, too. That's his admission. Imagine what that assistant would say. Paying paying your assistant, your employee, $500 and then beating the shit out of them. And and he had multiple physical altercations. This is someone who wanted to abuse other people physically there's you couldn't pay me enough money to do that to someone you know what i mean like (sighs) he wanted to do this he paid money to do it he risked his entire career his entire career is now going down the tubes because he wanted to do this so badly again we'll get into the psychology of this later so then there's things that trip me up so and of course you know this is just words but uh, when his mom passed away, I, I saved this quote. Uh, he he tweeted, uh, "Mother, to the first and greatest believer in me, I hope I see you again someday, but not now because I have more things I promised I would do. I'll make you proud and satisfied that you know that you made the son you wanted. I love you." And it's just because she's dead. Is he making? Oh, I wasn't. Or are you know like where where's the act? Where's the reality? You know? Well, you can have both. One, yeah. it could all be yeah. an act, the whole thing, yeah. either or both. Yeah. But you can also be violent. I mean, I, I've worked with plenty of families where I have seen that kind of violent behavior from children towards their parents. And those children can have very sweet moments as well. So anyway, because of all this, he was dropped by his record label, his talent agency, his manager of 25 years. He was removed from future episodes of the TV series American Gods and Creep Show, and all these different things. And Marilyn Manson issued a statement on Instagram saying, "Obviously, my art and my life have long been ma- have long been magnets for controversy, but these recent claims about me are horrible distortions of reality." My intimate relationships have always been entirely consensual with like-minded partners, regardless of how and why others are now choosing to misrepresent the past. That is the truth. So he is saying they were entirely consensual, but a lot of other people would disagree with that. So obviously we've seen this before. Again, Bill Cosby, Harvey Weinstein, and several others. And the 
common what are the commonalities that we see between the story of Marilyn Manson, Harvey Weinstein, Bill Cosby? Well, in terms so, of like how it played, you know, the, the way that they acted and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, the especially between the Cosby and the Manson stuff, um, there is that aspect of, of grooming and uh, the, the consistency of the stories, which is really interesting. Um, but what's so different in my mind is that, and maybe it's because I wasn't paying attention, but we never heard. Cosby telegraphing all this publicly in interviews and stuff. Right. And maybe it's because Cosby's public uh, persona was at odds completely with anything like that, whereas in Marilyn Manson's case, it amplified his marketing persona. Like, mm-hmm. you know, he would sell more records by doing and talking about these kinds of things, or by, by talking about these kinds of things. Right. What about commonalities to how society or the progression of the suppression of evidence is there coming? Well, that's okay. And and maybe not with Cosby, although apparently people in the comic world knew, but with Harvey Weinstein and with Marilyn Manson, that's why I was saying, like, I feel like for years I've, I've known that there was something not right that, you know, uh, and then with Harvey Weinstein, it seems for years people were like, talking about it, rumoring about it, whatever. Um, but nothing really happened. And all those interviews, all those quotes, everything is from years ago. So it's really, oh, and, and what you were saying, like she came out in 2018, not, she didn't name him, but everyone was like, oh, it must be him. It must be him. And yet nothing really happened. Right. Yeah. That's it's the, really such the most bizarre thing. And if anyone is still a holdout, that feminism is a needed movement in our society, then listen to this because it happens all the time. And these are just the sensational stories. There are thousands, millions of other people who never make the headlines because they're not famous. But let's talk about the commonalities between all these stories. One is is that they all abuse people, right? Weinstein, Cosby, Manson, they abuse people. The victims try to find justice, but people shut them down, and including the perpetrator will shut them down. So they're unsure if they can come forward, but they try to come forward. Society doesn't pay attention. More victims are led to the abuser because no one is listening to the victims. The perpetrator learns he can do whatever he wants. He's like, oh, wow. For years I've been trying to hide this, but it actually has been I, – I was worried there for about a month, but nothing happened. Hmm. Well, goody two-shoes for me. Let's go for it. The abuse escalates. It gets worse. Years and years and years go by until what? And and tell me this, Berto. Is it a critical mass? Is it the right celebrity has to come forward? Is it a a slow news week that allows this story to become front-page news? I mean, like you've been saying with Harvey Weinstein – and with Cosby and with Marilyn Manson, uh, the stories that are coming out this month are not the first time it's it's been revealed, even by him himself. Why has it taken so long? Yeah, it is uh, puzzling. Obviously, something happened in 2019. Something as in the dam broke. It's unclear why, like why that year, but then all of a sudden society, we are as a whole, we're like, Okay, I, I guess we're not okay with this. We're going to yeah. have to say no. Okay, so uh, that's a, probably a factor. Me too, right? Hashtag me too movement. 
which is a wonderful thing, and that explains some of it. But we are two years after the that, yeah. and Marilyn Manson was allowed to continue doing this sort of thing. Why did it take two years? Well, I mean, and okay, there is the thing of like, you can't just go after people from rumors. That that you can't do. You shouldn't do. And I'd say, you know, it, it takes people actually, sadly, but it, it takes people coming out and saying, okay, this happened to me. And when one person comes out, you got to let the authorities investigate. As a public, I don't think you can just, well, you shouldn't just lynch people just because like someone raises their hand and says, they, that person is bad. Uh, it's just that after multiple people come out with consistent stories and then you look at a pattern, then you have to decide both as a consumer audience, both as a business, etc. Do we keep doing business? Do we keep patronizing this person or this business or whatever? Uh, and I think that's what's changed because before um, it was rare. It was rare that someone would you know, be highlighted as, as an abusive person and then society kind of in mass would say, okay, we're done with that individual uh, or that individual's uh, wares for now. Um, but th- I think that's the big difference is now there are several tools that came together uh, and it's a terrifying power in some ways, but like the internet has created these very combustible um, reactions. And uh, they, they, they are, I say terrifying because it's the same kind of thing that can lead astray because people react as a group. Yeah. Um, where it works, it seems like what it's doing is it's bringing things to light and it's not allowing things to get swept under the rug because the power of the group is too, too strong. So the group goes, no, 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 like we're not going to be okay with this. Whereas it used to be like, ah, sh- 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 just pay the DA or just do the thing, just keep it quiet. Right. And now that's not happening as easily. Although yeah. I will say like, it's also a, an illusion because um, things get, get out in the public, but as far as the law is concerned, there's no laws that, or laws aren't really changing that quickly right now, but there's that. And then the other thing that's, that's happening is um, right now, this this is a year where we just got through like a pandemic year. And, and so I wouldn't call it a slow news thing. It's almost like there is a little bit of breathing room right now for stories. Right. Yeah. That, because it's like, you know, that's what makes me wonder <laughs> if, if this had happened in December or even yeah. uh, November, would Evan Rachel Wood's story even been paid attention yeah, it's, to it's, it's hard right because it's like every day there was some crazy story about everything pandemic yeah. and yeah. politics and stuff yeah so let's talk about the legal system because it does support this we know scientifically that victims often blame themselves into silence until they recover somewhat which usually takes years and then they're able to come forward and accuse their 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 you know criminal their perpetrator their abuser the legal, the legal system needs to change to reflect reality of psychological trauma. Uh, we have this thing that's generally called the statute of limitations. It's statute meaning that it's a, a statute, a rule, if you will, a, a law uh, of limitations. And one of the limitations is that you can't accuse someone of a victim that happened a long time ago. So why do we have these statutes of limitations, Brito. Why in the world do we need this? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know the law well, but I guess in some cases, with some things, I could see the logic of, 
Uh, take, take, for example, like, you know, kid, 17, steals the loaf of bread. They're starving. And then, you know, 50 years later, they come and sing an operatic song about it and, and arrest them and throw them in jail. <laughs> I, I think that's not necessary. You know, it's, it's going too far. Well, why? So, side, like, I, I agree, but why? What is it about that that makes it unnecessary? It was they the, broke the law, and, and they just they broke the law. It. But it's the nature of the offense, and the length of time, and what was the the damage done, so to speak. Uh, I think when it comes to some some crimes, there there sh- they should not be an expiration, right? It should be like, well, you know, murder, and I th- I think abuse and rape and and other things like there should be a, a broad set of uh, things where we just don't we're just not okay with it expiring, like, right? Oh. Well, the reasons why. I read online, I think on Wikipedia, as to why there are general statutes of limitations, and I'm sure lawyers would have more to say about this, but the little bit I read had three reasons that they cited. One is is that a victim needs to pursue justice with reasonable diligence. So when a victim is a victim of a crime, they need to pursue justice with reasonable diligence. And so the question is, why? What do you think? Again, for some things, fine. Like, you know, you stole my pencil. I didn't report it. I didn't think it was a big deal. Years go by, decade later. I'm like, gosh, I don't like that Kirk guy. And he did take my pencil. I'm going to go report him to the authorities. I, that's kind of ridiculous, man. You just I, don't, took my I, I don't agree. If I stole your pencil, I yeah, broke I the law. Well, clearly I didn't care that much. It was just a pencil. Well... Okay, but, so, but, I, but so, I'm trying to get at that there's got to be bounds of reason. For example, like Kirk burned my house down and I was so shocked, so traumatized that I couldn't say anything. But now, 30 years later, I, I have the courage to say, Kirk burnt my house down. And that, it, there should not be a limit on that. Like, right. And certainly with, because some of these crimes, it's like, yeah. oh, if you say anything, we'll come after your family. Or... Just, you know, if you just tell anyone what I've done to you, you will. Like, so many of these things are personally traumatizing. They're threatening. The person feels threatened for their life. Yeah. Uh, it's no surprise it would take an indefinite amount of time to be able to talk about it. Well, and as I was saying, victims often blame themselves or think that they brought it on themselves because the perpetrator will often break down their psychology and their personality such that they will brainwash them into thinking that way, and it takes years for them to unbrainwash themselves. Two other reasons that they identified. If the victim waits too long, the defendant might have lost the necessary ability to disprove the claim. So if I stole your pencil, Birdo, and then 10 years later you're like, he stole my pencil, and I'm like, no, I didn't. And you're like, well, disprove. You know, you're going to have to, you know, I'm going to be like, well, it was 10 years ago. I I didn't know I needed to keep track. I don't have (laughs) any, I don't have an alibi. I don't don't have any. So, you know, that makes some sense, but that could be considered in court if there were the sort of circumstances we're talking about. The third reason is that it might result in cruelty and more cruelty than justice for the perpetrator. And that one doesn't make any sense. Who cares about the goddamn perpetrator? <laughs> like, if you're a perpetrator of a heinous crime like this, I don't care if the system is somehow cruel. To, how is it cruel to you to be convicted of a crime that you did? Do you know? Yeah. And, yeah. and you benefited from 15 years of getting off scot-free. Now is your time when the punishment begins. And so, if anything, 
you you won that situation because you should have been in jail this whole time, you know? Anyway, so it's getting that... Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. One thing that I think the laws aren't well drafted around this area of uh, mental and sexual and physical abuse because... And I, I don't understand enough about it, so I'm sure I'm misunderstanding it. But it seems to me that context is really hard to come by in these trials, meaning... Because, you know, yeah, okay, 50 years go by. Someone out of the blue says, hey, 50 years ago, this person uh, raped me. Okay. And then the other person says, no, absolutely not. That didn't happen. And so, you know, you you have a trial. Let's say there's no statute of limitations. You have a trial and there's not going to be any evidence. Like there's no, meaning no physical evidence. There's no physical evidence whatsoever. So it's mostly, are there any witnesses? And it's really hard. You can't go back. It's like really hard to do. But the thing is, what if there's this additional context where 10 other women or, or people came out then and also accused the person? And, and it's really interesting because I, I believe that you can't actually do the equivalent of a class action lawsuit. When it well, comes that's to interesting. You might, you might be able to civically sue someone. Uh, I don't know if there is a statute of limitations, but the crime, yeah. And we did see actually a version of this with the Kavanaugh hearings. It wasn't a, uh-huh. a criminal hearing, but it was an yeah. accusation. And it, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. And guess what? He was granted the, you know, the seat. And so the uh, system, in a sense, said, well, or I guess to be specific... The people reviewing the evidence said, well, we're unconvinced because yeah. it, it was so long ago and we're taking into account the Kavanaugh. It was so long ago. He doesn't have really a chance to defend himself because he didn't know he needed to gather alibis or anything, you know, and people can't really identify dates. And so anyway, I, I just think that the law definitely needs to change. It has changed for other kinds of crimes, for childhood crimes sometimes. But we need to change the crimes all over the United States. Right now, every state has its own specific uh, sort of version of this. And we definitely, I think, need to start changing things for the better. We'd have to go back in time in some ways, which is impossible, because we would have to go back to the 70s, 80s and say, tell everyone, hey, FYI, the following list of things are not okay. So, like, if this happens or you see this happen, like... It's not okay. Like, talk about it. Like, start reporting. Like, it doesn't... Oh. It's, and, and, you know, because that, that's the part of, part of the problem with so many things uh, uh, in this area is that a few decades ago, or even just one decade ago, but certainly three decades ago, uh, people were a lot more confused about these boundaries. Right. Like, I, I, know, yeah. I, think, I think I know what you're saying. What you're saying is that, let's say, uh, well, even Evan Rachel Wood, it would, would have been 15 years ago-ish. Yeah we would have to go back in time and say, okay, every, every witness to this abuse, understand that what Marilyn Manson is doing is wrong yeah. because that wasn't assumed. We, we live in yeah. 2021 right now where yeah. we're enlightened to a lot of yeah. things that we were not in the past. And back then, I'm guessing the majority of Americans would have been like, well, she's willingly his girlfriend, right? So, it, you know, why doesn't she yeah. just leave if she's she's it, seen his videos right <laughs> well and she's she could leave at any time so obviously she's she's doing it because she wants to 
And today we understand, and I understood, you and I would have understood. Well, would you have understood? I would have, because no. I, I, I mean, treat well, people. Well, to some extent, like, uh, to, to some extremes, yes. But if you don't, like, look, I don't know when, but you rewind the clock far enough, and you're like, dude, I heard, or not you, but someone's like, I heard this crazy story of this rock star, and this, like, 15-year-old girl came in the, ba- in the backstage, and they did this crazy stuff. I wouldn't have back then been like, oh my gosh, did they report him to the authority? Like, I would have been like, oh, that's crazy, man. That's a crazy story. And that, she, that the, she, wouldn't have, she wouldn't have gone backstage if she didn't want well, that yeah, to happen. What is it? And they're rock stars. What, what's the point of being a rock star if you're not doing crazy, damaging stuff to people's psyches, you know? Yeah. Like, this is the thing. Like, that wasn't the understanding. It was all over movies and media. It, you know, it's right. bizarre. We just... We just started living in the modern era. You know, like, there's no understanding of... It's like bullfighting. Like, I hate bullfighting. I, I think it's terrible stuff. But I, my mind has expanded in this regard. Not, I don't like it. I don't think they should do it, period. But I've come to understand that just a blink ago, humans could only survive by constantly slaughtering creatures that they owned... And yet I grew up in a like city where I never saw an animal die. <laughs> and so like my understanding of reality is completely different. So we don't get what's going on. And therefore, we don't understand what a rock star is and what a rock star should or should not do. And we're just now waking up to like, oh, wait, just because you're famous and you're a rock star doesn't really entitle you to abuse. Oh, and abuse. What is that word in the first place? You know? Yeah. And that you could brainwash someone to not talk and to feel like yeah. it was all their fault. And right. and it doesn't mean you're a weak victim by being broken down like that. Anyone can be broken down like that under the right circumstances. Um, so getting into the dark tetrad, which I've talked about before, and I'm not diagnosing Manson on this because I haven't assessed him. We can only look at the Internet, which has to be taken into consideration as we do this discussion. But just as a demonstration of the Dark Tetrad, let's go over them one by one. And, Berto, you tell me if this fits the, since you're a non-clinician, you can say it whatever you want. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, in terms of what you've seen presented to you, does Marilyn Manson seem like a good candidate for a worthy analysis in this category? The first one is psychopathy. This is... In the dark tetrad sense, this is the absence of empathy. This is indifferent to the feelings of others, lack of remorse, but not necessarily sadistic. So this is lack of empathy, uh, you know, lack of remorse, indifferent to other people. You know, other people could be suffering and you're like, huh, I don't, I don't really, I don't really care. Uh, Does Marilyn Manson have uh, enough reason to believe we should assess him for that? Uh, it's hard to say. It, I mean, clearly he says things that seem that way, but he also says things where he does express remorse, and he and he's he talks about his relationship with ex bandmates and about how he still cares for them. And like, it's really odd. And, and also, we have accounts from other people and in relationships or have had relationships with them that that speak kindly about it. And so, I can't. It's hard to tell. Yeah, he definitely had the capacity for a, a seeming lack of empathy given his behavior, but yeah, you, you round it out pretty well. Number two is narcissism. This is the not necessarily narcissistic personality disorder, but in the dark tetrad sense, this is 
the feeling of entitlement. You might brag a lot. You'll be grandiose. You'll be self-centered. You'll be dominant. You'll think of yourself as superior. And again, not necessarily psychopathic or sadistic. Did what we know about Marilyn Manson exhibit enough to justify an assessment of the dark tetrad narcissistic trait? Um, Well, yeah, I think so. I mean, the guy... Uh, the guy has built a whole uh, persona for decades um, that is glorified, and he, I don't know, he really embraced it publicly, constantly, constantly. But I guess, as we've said before, you have to be a narcissist to perform. But to what extent? Right. The f- you and I are narcissists because we yeah. have a podcast in that we think of ourselves so highly that we uh, talk with each other and then That's post right. it on the internet expecting people to listen. So there's a little bit of narcissism in there. And any famous person who actually likes to be on stage, at least somewhat, has a streak of narcissism. But that's not really what we're talking about here. The version of narcissism we're talking about here is a distortion of reality that you're superior to everyone on the planet, particularly people close to you. And... Again, we don't know. Uh, yeah, you, could, you could look at his persona and go, oh, my God, he's so narcissistic. But people, people do that all the time because they don't really understand yeah. what at least this version of narcissism is referring to. What this version of narcissism is referring to is constantly, in every single context, in every relationship, this person secretly believes or overtly believes that they are superior to everyone and treats everyone as such. Now, he treated other people pretty horribly, but... It's unclear if he's narcissistic. And according to you, Berto, knowing a little bit about how people talked about him, there were different, account, different accounts. Some different people, accounts. Some people said he was a horrible person. Some people said he was a lovely person. Does, that doesn't sound like a consistently narcissistic individual, but I don't know. Well, and when you listen to his interviews, uh, other than the horrible tidbits he throws out about things he's done to people or what he wants to do to people, um, but he actually doesn't. It's weird. Like, he doesn't sound like certain other people we could think of what, that all they can say is how great they are and right. how everyone should treat them how, about how great they are. Right. Um, and that's not how he comes off. Right. Yeah. The third of the dark tetrad, dark tetrad meaning four, is Machiavellianism. So this trait is reserved for people who are manipulative. They make plans. They're very scheming. And again, not necessarily sadistic, but they will try, they'll, they'll, at night when their head hits the pillow, their mind often goes to, okay, how am I going to get back at that person? Or how am I going to pull the wool over that person's eyes? Or how am I going to manipulate that individual? What, and they, because there's a big difference between impulsive, harmful behavior towards people and premeditated harmful behavior towards people and people who are Machiavellian will it's a it's almost like a pleasure or a defense mechanism that they frequently indulge in is of just like oh I'm so angry at the you know Berto you and I have been angry at people there are people where I that person made me angry but we don't sit there and go like okay what's the plan What's right. the scheme? What do I, how am I going to get back at that person? You know, well, we you don't, don't hear about people that I'm angry at because you never hear about them again. So I haven't trait. seen that. You're no, right. I haven't seen that. Like right. it may be, 
But to me, honestly, from the stories and as far as I could gather, there's a couple things that seem more evident to me. One, extreme insecurity. And because he, he he's you know described by at least her and a couple others as like extremely jealous and very controlling and things that I can relate to from when I was young and I was like oh man I could see that ooh I could see that getting away from him and that's one and then the second one is he's embodied this persona that has aspects of of his dark nature uh, trauma all these things but he probably thinks of it as like no I mean that's what I do in a way and I certainly don't mean to equate these things but imagine that you are into uh, sadomasochism and you do a set of things you have whips chains things you strap people up you do a whole bunch of things it's not like you think of yourself as a serial killer torturer you just this is just like what you're into and of course everyone's consenting and all these things that's how it needs to be Um, but that's your persona in his case he's probably convinced himself or agreed in his mind that yeah he's a weird guy and like but what you know this about me? I, I bring you in. I mean, this is what we do. We're chaotic, and and yeah, of course I put you in this room. But you know that, like that's what we do. And so I think it's a, a combination of these things, and then they turn dark when he's like, it, it combines that jealousy with insecurities, and then and then this persona. I don't know that he's sitting there plotting the demise of people. Yeah, yeah, it's hard to and know. Maybe. Uh, it, it could be because maybe he had a whole plan in the background manipulating and grooming these young women. Uh, maybe he had a whole thing in the background of how to manipulate the media. But there's no overt signs that we can tell from the Internet or reading Wait, his, 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 his books. I could be completely wrong, though, because I just realized when you write an entire album about someone including somewhat killing them and then t- maybe I'm wrong about this one. <laughs> well, so again, it, it's hard. We'd have to know what it's is going on in yeah. his mind. We'd have to hear his process. If he was like, yeah, yeah. well, yeah, this, and but okay, let's go into number four. So this is the kicker. This is sadism. Part, part of the, part of the dark tetrad. Yeah. This is enjoying hurting other people. You get a thrill from making other people suffer. Berto Manson. What do you think? I mean, that one seems clear unless everyone around him and him are always lying about the stories. Right. Like, so of the yeah. dark tetrad uh, for, you know, components of psychopathy, narcissism, Machiavellianism, sadism, he clearly, according to his behavior that, is, that are alleged, according to his own description, as you say, according to his behavior, he definitely seems to get a thrill from making other people suffer. So... That is the quote-unquote diagnosis. We used to actually have it called sadistic personality disorder, and I've always been pr- promoting the idea of returning it. You know, we used to have psychopathic personality disorder. We used to have sadistic personality disorder. There used to, there was a proposal f- to add sexual sadism as a personality disorder. These are particular things that I think need to be delineated because – you can be psychopathic, you can lack empathy, but not take pleasure in hurting other people. And the reverse can be, they're often correlated, but the ver- the reverse can be true as well. You can yeah. take pleasure in harming other people and have remorse for it and care about other people's feelings. They are, sadism and psychopathy are highly correlated, but they're not necessarily always in the same person. And so we really need to understand what we're talking about with someone like Manson is a problem with sadism. 
It's a problem with getting off on watching other people suffer and, and getting off on watching other people suffer non-consensually. That's the problem. Right, right, right. And we need to really identify that and delineate those people from quote-unquote psychopaths because a lot of people on the internet, when they talk about psychopathy, they're actually thinking of a sadist. They're saying, you know, that person harms other people willy-nilly. There are people who have psychopathic traits who don't harm anyone because no one ever gets in their way for whatever reason. And, and they lack Ooh, empathy right. and they don't, they don't necessarily have great relationships, but they're not like actively out to harm you necessarily. What about this aspect that, um, look, it's quite possible, uh, probably very likely that in uh, his head, because he's publicly stated that, look, I never did anything with anyone that wasn't consensual, something to that effect. Um, I think in his head, that's probably the way he feels about it. Like, what are you talking about? Like, well, first of all, I mean, her, meaning, she's meaning totally that obsessed he, about me. Meaning that he rationalizes it or something? I, I Well, sort yeah, it rationalizes, but in the sense that, who knows exactly how this progressed, right? But in his mind, he's probably like, wait a minute, I meet her, she's obsessed about me. Like, we start doing things. She, I, you know, she knows what, I, what I'm into. And like, like stuff like this. So, you know, and then she seems to be into it. Like, I mean, yeah, of course it's like, there's yeah, a bit I, of like pain I, I, and struggle, but I mean, you, that's what I, we do. Yeah. I like your point. And I would have a hard time believing anyone with two brain cells to rub together would be able to rationally rationalize that given the accounts. We're talking about raping people while they're sleeping, drugging them. We're talking about keeping them awake. We're talking about locking them in a room. We're talking about breaking them down. We're talking about grooming children. <laughs> so, yeah, it's possible that he rationalized, and they often do. Abusers often will completely rationalize it. Oh, it was always consensual. They, they knew what they were getting into. But uh, anyone who would stop him and say, like, well, do you have a safe word? And they're, they're like, well, no. What well, do you... Do you let them do what they want to do? You know, it, it's it that the behavior was so all encompassing. Again, I just want to read just to remind us all of what Esme Bianco was saying. He was in complete control of her life, what she ate, who she was allowed to see. He would lock her in the bedroom. He wouldn't allow her to sleep. He would violently shake her awake for several days. He would bite her during sex non-consensually. There were bruises. He would beat her. He chased her around with an axe. I mean, how can you argue that that's a consensual act, chasing someone around with an axe? So now, does he rationalize it to himself? Could we hook him up to a quote-unquote lie detector that doesn't exist? Uh, and, and would he pass it? Yeah, it's possible that people go into denial for all sorts of reasons. Uh, but I could also I mean, see it, how he actually doesn't rationalize it to himself because he does talk about it kind of openly sometimes. You know, It's just... Yeah, what what I've seen the, a lot, though, is like in cases of cults where, I, I'm not saying this was a cult, but, it's, you know, it could be like if you got more and more people, but um, the cult member, the cult leaders do terrible things. And while they're in it, the cult members are like, yeah, I know, but this is all, I want this, I love this. Um, and of course, from the outside looking in, like, no, you're being abused. And then after, if they happen to get out, they can say, oh, I was being abused. So for the cult leader, while they're in it, of course they can rationalize it because they're like, you outside worlders don't understand. Like, these people love me. I'm helping them. Right. And of course, we on the outside are like, oh, yeah, no, you're crazy. And they're abused. So 
I could, I could see the story forming in his mind. And who knows? Maybe, no. Maybe he was aware the whole time about how horrible he is. Who knows? But um, because he, he could have been like, like, no, man, this is me. I'm, I'm, I'm Marilyn Manson. What, what do you expect happens at Marilyn Manson's house? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now, that would be part of that narcissism thing. And by the way, I want to clarify that I'm not saying he's not psychopathic or narcissistic or Machiavellian. I'm just saying from what we could see on the Internet that we did, there's not strong evidence of it. But he absolutely could have. He could have all four of these traits in, in full glory. We just don't have access to any sort of data. And maybe you do listening out there. All right. So let's end with talking about BDSM because I feel like he's being confused with BDSM. And uh, you mentioned it, that BDSM is a framework for people to consensually explore dynamics of power and sensations. That's the definition, a framework for people to consensually explore dynamics of power and and sensations, like physical sensations. It's always consensual. People need to understand that. What he is doing is abuse. And no one who participates in BDSM would confuse what he is doing with BDSM. What does BDSM stand for, Brito? Um, sadomasochism is the last part. <laughs> yeah. People always forget the first day. It's bondage discipline. Bondage discipline. Well, but, oh, hold on, though. That's another one of those things where you rewind the clock just some amount of time, and BDSM was seen as a dark, dark thing that anyone was into that, man. Yeah. They're into some bad stuff. Yeah, I mean, yeah. What, the next frontier is a little bit of uh, anti-kink shaming movement that I think needs to happen. There's a, there's still a, in fact, well, I won't go into it, but there, there's still a lot of kink shaming that's happening from people that know better. They're, and it's not like, B, yeah, and, and it's not like BDSM started with a full set of rules that everyone knew about, right? So, like, th- this is the other thing that for decades, like, we saw images of, like, the, the ball, the gag in the mouth, like in Pulp Fiction, all these things. And like that was like some dark, weird underbelly sex thing. But there was also this wink, wink of like, if someone's into it, ah, God bless their heart. But there was never a discussion about like the mutual consent and the sign here on the paperwork. That's been like a, a recent phenomenon for those of us on the outside. Right. On the outside. On the inside, they've been doing it for years. What movies can you think of that have BDSM in it? Uh, uh, Tokyo Decadence. Okay. What else? Um, the the secretary. Secretary. Yeah, that's a great yeah. example of BDSM. What else? The uh, Pulp There's Fiction. The big one. <laughs> yeah, Pulp Fiction. I guess. Um, I don't remember what else. Oh wait. Uh, oh no no no. Fifty Shades that's of Grey. The... Oh yeah, I didn't see that one. <laughs> a Dangerous Method, which is about Jung with Keira Knightley and Michael Fassbender. And nine and a half weeks with Kim Basinger and Mickey Rourke. You know, I never saw that. I did when it came out, and I remember really not liking it. This is back when Kim Basinger and Mickey Rourke were at the height of their powers. They were, you know, the hottest couple in Hollywood, and I remember it was quite a sensation. And I just remember these long scenes of sex happening with, I think there were like ice cubes and food involved. And <laughs> I just remember being like, get on with it. it just, I, just, yeah. I just didn't. All right, let's go into some stats here, Berto. Percentage of people reporting having participated in BDSM at least once, even though they Ooh. might not call it BDSM. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, Percentage oh. of people having participated in BDSM at least once. 20%. Close, 10%. 
Percentage who are interested in sadism or aroused by sadism for men. Percentage of men. Five uh, percent. Nineteen. Nineteen percent. Yeah. Well, you know. Yeeksters. What do you mean, yeeksters? Like Sa- they're 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 interested in pain. No, for they're, pleasure. Well, they're they're interested in Cosmic. the sadism side. That's consensual, yeah. which is yeah. like tying people up or spanking someone or controlling yeah, that, someone holding someone down uh, i don't like it okay you don't but you know 19 percent no, no. of men do i don't like that there's that much of it because like it i don't know it reveals why? something i think why it's consensual it's, nah it's for the same reason i don't like hunting and i don't like it's like there's well, why there's don't you this, like hunting there, this is the side of the universe that that i don't like it's the the destructive side of the universe but it's consensual between two people. You're you're oh, actually you're you're kink. I don't want to call it kink shaming, but you're like, I don't know. You're you're kink otherizing or something. It's like all right. I guess if I think of it the way I, that the, if I enjoy a horror movie, does that make me a terrible person? No. Right. So if I enjoy the idea of it, but we're all we're all in this together and blah blah. So you're right. Okay. I am. I am a backwards individual, and I need to enlighten myself. Good, good. What percentage of women want to be a sadist consensually, sexually? They're interested. They get aroused. Fifty percent. Ten percent. Okay. So half half the amount of women, but still a sizable amount of women want to. I'm sad now. I'm sad that it's only ten. <laughs> percent who are in, of men interested in masochism, meaning they want to be bonded. They want to be whipped they want to be controlled uh, 19 for the other. okay uh 12 percent. close 15 percentage of women who, and again they didn't do queer people or non-binary people as the usual in research but percent of people who are into mass women who are women. into 17 oh my god on the money oh boy <laughs> wait i feel like you need to get a prize or something <laughs> <laughs> a little leather I mean, that's leather it, was, whip. it wasn't 20 it was 17 it was 17 I mean, how do you I get it? it i mean that's yeah. incredible percentage that's of women who have rape fantasies every, every once in a while infrequent yeah, yeah, yeah. at least at least infrequent rape fantasies about being raped oh women. my god uh is, is that one okay is the i guess yeah it's, 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 it's okay to fantasize it's consensual i mean okay. one it's just a fantasy right yeah yeah Tw- it's not, 12 percent 50%. 50%? Yeah. Half of women have fantasies of being raped. Yeah. I mean, but we have to expand what rape means. Uh, there are different kinds. And we actually did a whole episode. W- were you with me? I thought you and I did a whole episode on this. Mm. Where there are different kinds of rape fantasies where people will have a fantasy where they are being full-on raped, but that's not as common as being raped like the way the Bodice Ripper books are like, where the woman, she's she wants it, but she doesn't want to admit she wants it. And right, the, right. the man like just says, I'm going to have you. <laughs> and deep down, she kind of wants Bond it. It's the James Bond rape. Right. So there's that kind of, And again, this is fantasy. We're talking about fantasies that you think about while you masturbate or while you are having sex in a different way or just things you like to think about or read about it's just fantasies it's not real there's a huge chasm between sexual fantasies and reality and 50 percent of women have these kind of fantasies and again if anyone's listening and confusing this for like a permission to rape anyone this is not of course so 
make no joke about it. Rape and non-consensual sex is is complete. Any non-consensual anything is wrong. And so just understand that. But a lot of a lot of people, uh, percentage of women who have frequent rape fantasies, meaning when they are asked a question, you know, you you have. Okay, I'm going to drop that one to 25. Close. 15 percent. Okay. Percentage of men who fantasize, fantasize about raping people. Again, these are just fantasies. It's just what turns you on. Vast majority of these people would never want to in reality and would abhor that. But percentage of men who <laughs> fantasize. But dude, but you know, like, because like at some point I'm going to draw the line on what you're fantasizing about. Well, okay. You know, so to be like, clear, some people who fantasize about it actually will do it. So yeah. I'm not. I'm not saying. It can't be a bad thing. But for the vast majority who do think about it, in the same <laughs> okay. way the vast majority of people I'm going to draw... Okay, but I'm going to draw a line at... There's one thing when you're fantasizing about things happening to you. And there's another thing when you're fantasizing about you doing things to others. And of course, we're not in brain control county here, but like, you know, it's like, oh, some, you know, some people fantasize about taking an AK and killing 100 people. Like, that's not okay. We need to do something about that. Because the more they fantasize, I don't know what's going to happen. So, like, I don't like that one. The <laughs> okay, what percentage? 12%. 30%. God damn it. 30% of guys sit there fantasizing about raping. Well, not all the time, but they report on a survey that, I mean, that they have. Yeah. Ah. Uh, yeah. So, like, do do we not see any problem with... Half, half the people over here fantasizing about being raped. The other third fantasizing just, about raping. It's just fantasies, my friend. But but so, your brain so, is not that like for some sealed. Mm, for some, for a very small percentage. And you're right. You're 100 percent right. You're right about a minority <sighs> of people. You're 100 billion percent right. And you're just I mean, when people fantasize about drinking a beer. Guess what? When people <laughs> see commercials about Coke. Guess what? You know uh, what I mean? Well, so you're 100 billion percent right, and I'm glad you're uncomfortable. But the fact is, is that this is all in the realm of what we would consider okay. to be BDSM, which is consensual. There's a whole group of people, millions upon millions, according to these stats, maybe even like one or two billion people on the planet are turned on by various different acts of sadomasochism, whether it's bondage or gag you know ball gags or tying people up or whipping people or hitting and you remember we went to that sex club for a podcast one yeah. of the very first podcasts we went to we went to this center for sex positive culture in seattle on the hottest day ever recorded in seattle <laughs> and everyone's ripping off their clothes in the sex club and you and me, Berto, are dressed to you know we we're we're in our club clothes and we're 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 sweating. Yeah, we're not even taking, to the old. I remember we left our jackets on because we, we <laughs> I just, didn't want to put my jacket down. <laughs> yeah, and there are people having sex on the ground and there are people being beaten and I there are so many scenes that even though this was twelve years ago, I can remember so many different scenes and I remember this one woman was beating this guy. He was yeah. kind of a skinnier. He looked like like he might have even been half Asian. Yep, yep, yep. And I remember she, that vividly. Yeah, she was beating him with a meat tenderizer. Yeah. I think like a you know a, a a metal mallet with all these little spikes on it. She was she was hitting him like on his yeah. back and butt. I think. 
But and, and I, he was, I will and he say was on, that he was on like a crucifixion. Yeah, that's, uh, he's hanging from yeah. his arms. I will say though, and so, so, so but here's but here's my point. This I mean, my point is is that you and I looking at that are like, what is going on? But to those two individuals, this is a a wonderful Saturday night. The well, guy, it felt the guy, safe. like like for me, like that that space felt safe, right? In so, this weird, bizarre way, right? So when people are going into that world, it's compl- it's it's safe, but. They want to be tied up. And then the way people were talking to each other, you know, they were uh, humiliating. You, you know, they had that one yeah. thing where you would go, remember the, the Alina Gabosh was like the, the leader. Uh, she recently passed away, actually. She, would, she said, you know, uh, you can step into this cage. And if you just wait there, a dominatrix will come or a, you know, a dominant, whoever you want in terms of gender will come and, and take you. And beat you and humiliate so I you. I got into the cage and Lita started like saying dominating things to me. <laughs> <laughs> Lita was our, uh, so at the beginning of the our podcast, co-host. it was me and Berto and Lita. And anyway, so uh, when we look at that, we're like, well, that's, that's foreign to us. But to them, this is what turns them on. They, they, and for some people, it's the only thing that turns them on. The, the reason why I'm even going into this is because I want to delineate what is a wonderful celebration of human diversity and sexuality and participation and bonding and sensation and feelings and expression and, and having an experience with other people. There's a huge difference between legit consensual BDSM and what Marilyn Manson does because people, I think, are going to associate him with BDSM and what he is doing is not he's in some ways adopting the label he's trying to hide behind the label of BDSM or the label of this world of consensual horror of fascination by actually abusing human beings and that and it appears that for years he actually likes to do this and maybe has liked to do it from a very young age and managed to keep it at bay maybe even while he was married but then with Evan Rachel Wood, he started to let, let it out. He started to actually act out his fantasies that he always kind of wanted to do with people and then learned he could get away with it, and then he just did it to many other people beyond that. That's my point. Yeah. So, final word, Berto. Yeah. So, like, uh, we've struggled with this in the past. I, I will now have to make a decision. This one is easier than, for sure, than Michael Jackson or something because I don't generally listen uh, but even today, as I was doing a little research, I felt a little guilty about watching the the videos. <laughs> but at the same time, I kind of reminded myself, well, what is it to me? Like, I know we have our podcast and we talk about things that are current. But beyond this, like, I'm just not going to think about this too much because it, it, it's not me. This is not, I'm not the accuser. I'm not the victim. And I don't know. They should pursue this in court if they can. Um, the, the thing that I can do is I can make a decision for what I patronize. And in this case, based on the evidence, I'm not going to listen to his music for, for now. Anyways, I don't feel any need to. Um, but at the same time, I also feel sad. I feel sad for everyone involved because uh, I was, as I was again, doing a little research, I read a little bit about some of the other people that were in the band. I read, I don't know if you read that his, um, Marilyn Manson's mom might have had, uh, what's that Munchauser thing by proxy? Really? Like, 
Yeah, where she apparently thought he was always that Brian was always sick and oh. um, and taking him in and out of hospitals. She also told him a story that when he was eight or nine, someone broke in the house and tried to choke him to death, and he has no memory of this. Really? But, well, that would actually explain said, something because when you do that to someone, that will really mess with your head and, and yeah. your and your sense of your own body and your sense yeah. of morality when it comes to other people's bodies. I didn't hear so that. If it, yeah. So if this is true, I'm like, man, there's sadness because there's little kids, little little kids that get distorted when they're little, and then they distort other people when they're grown up. Yeah. The final word for me is that everything in this episode was a complete allegation. I have no idea of the reality of any of these charges. They seem absolutely credible, the the case that people are making against him. But, of course, it's all just allegations. I have no inside knowledge on whether or not it's true. The other thing I'll say is that we need to change the laws ab- around the statute of limitations for this in the United States not just some of the states, but all of all the states. Need to, this needs to be a federal thing that changes for everyone. The other thing is, is that we need to put an end to this kind of stuff. Every time this happens, it it sort of feels like okay, that's the last one, right? Because surely anyone else would have come out by now. But no, in another year or another month or a couple years from now, there's going to be another big shocker. It's going to be someone else, and we're going to be like, here we are again. And we need to change it. The reason why this happens, for all of you listening right now, we all indirectly support the notions that contribute to shaming victims by uh, when these allegations come out in the media, by not paying attention to them, by also supporting laws and practices in the justice system that shame and harm people. Every Everyone who wants to know the specifics on this, watch that uh, TV series that we watched on Netflix a while ago called Unbelievable. Remember that, Berto? Watch yep. Un- Unbelievable. It, it really lays out why so many victims are shamed into silence or they learn from experience that it's just better not to make a report. And that's without societal backlash. That's without fandom lashing out at you and doxing you and and wanting to harm you we need to change this we need more victims rights we need more victim uh, protections we need more systems in place we need to change our culture we need to change the journalistic system we need to change our attitudes we need we need to look at famous people through a different lens rich people through a different lens we need to stop allowing lawyers uh, the ability to shut people up about this that needs to be a crime Uh, these kinds of things need to be out in the open because why? Because all of us don't want perpetrators just running loose, harming us and other people that we care about. It's just an obvious thing that we need to change. We need to change sexism. We need to change classism. uh, All of these things. We need to start bringing sexuality more out in the open so that people don't just, you know, titter and, and turn the other way. We need to talk about kink and BDSM so we can differentiate between the vast majority of consensual ethical BDSM and whatever he was alleged to be doing. Yep. We, we need to change all these things and only then will we be able to reduce the possibility of more victimization. Until then, we're going cons- to see this happening over and over 
and over again. And I guess we also need early intervention on children, such as Marilyn Manson when he was a kid. Maybe if there were more people to help him and his family, that this whole thing could have been headed off at the pass in terms of his, the development of his personality. All right, everyone out there, please take care of yourself and take a deep breath and remind yourself that you're safe right now. If you're feeling a little tense on the inside, just relax and take note of your own emotions because some of the stuff can be pretty heavy. And take care of yourself and take care of others because you deserve it.